Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Chapter 4 here in the book of Joshua, we move from a place that I think we can understand and see. There is personal faith that we all express. You have to have faith in Christ to be saved. That's the first step. You have to have personal faith then to walk with the Lord. That's the second step. But there is a third step on the journey in everyone's life, and that is the step of faith where we walk together. That is the witness of our collective faith in this world. That's the witness of the church. That's the witness of your family. That is what we would call the corporate witness of the body of Christ. And that's in view as we now get to chapter 4 here in the book of Joshua. There's an interesting thing that we really are reminded of often. And that is our faith cannot be manufactured in the moment. Our faith is something that we have that is expressed and used when we need it. You, you can't make it, you can't just all of a sudden acquire great faith uh, in an instant. Faith is something that you're resting and hoping and trusting in. Faith is something that you exercise on a daily basis. Faith is something you have or you don't have. You can't just gen it up at that very instant when you, oh no, now I need to walk in faith. People who walk in faith generally walk in faith all the time. They don't walk in faith part of the time. They don't walk in faith in certain things and not in other things. You are either walking in faith or you're not walking in faith. Most of you are very familiar with, the, with Niagara Falls. It sits on the border of the U.S. and Canada um, in the Horseshoe Falls, the one that we normally associate with, with that fall, about 167 feet, the Niagara goes over, and there are billions of gallons of water that flow over there. It's interesting because that particular part of the river um, is very violent, and you can see that when you're there. But what you don't see is if you just go upriver a couple of miles, the Niagara River looks mostly like a lake. It's barely moving. And, and the river itself flows quite gently, and people are in boats up there all the time. There's a couple of other tributaries, Chippewa Creek, the Welland River actually dump into it. And there are, there are areas in that part where as boaters are kind of, you know, going around doing their thing. There are a number of bridges, and they're pedestrian bridges. People can walk from neighborhood to neighborhood and go from place to place. But one of those bridges that goes over the Welland River, as you're approaching going into the Niagara, you're only about a mile and a quarter from Niagara Falls. And at that point, there is no danger. There's a sign on the bridge, and it says, Do you have an anchor? Do you know how to use it? Why? Because when you get to within sight distance of Niagara Falls, 
The only thing that's keeping you from going over is having an anchor and knowing how to use it. You, you can't just, oh, where did we put the anchor? Where, where, oh, has anybody seen it? You know, is it, you know, in the bow underneath a couple of cushions? By then it's too late to decide where your anchor is and if you've got it. And that anchor for us as believers is our hope and our faith in Christ Jesus. You got to have it and you need to know how to use it. We studied this in our study in Hebrews in chapter 6 verse 19 for this hope we have as an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner is and has entered for us even Jesus, having become that high priest forever. The anchor of our hope is Jesus. The anchor of the hope of the Jewish people was not their battle readiness. The anchor of their hope to go into the promised land was not their military prowess. The anchor of their hope was not, you know, Joshua's leadership. Your, your life of faith is going to be tested, church. And you can't manufacture that faith in the moment. It's the substance of things hoped for and yet not seen. It's evidence of that. But you have to have that faith when it comes time to use that faith. And that is the picture we have as we get to chapter 4, which we are going to read in its entirety as a single narrative tonight, something I don't often do. But as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. In other words, you can't do what God wants you to do without having faith. And if you have it, you're going to express it. You're going to live in it. You're going to know how to use it. It's going to come out frequently and often, and the world is going to be able to see it. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Teach us now. Instruct us with the power of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Joshua 4. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones. Interesting word stone there. It's, it's similar to uh, what we would say is a block or a rock. This is not a little pebble this is a big stone. It's something you could build a wall out of. From here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Remember that the priest took the Ark of the Covenant last time. They marched out to the middle of the flooding river Jordan. They're out basically a half mile. They're out there in the neighborhood of 3,000 feet. They're in the middle of the flood stage of the Jordan. You're going to go out there, and I want you to collect rocks. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to pick up the rock off the bottom of a moving body of water. Not an easy task, no matter how small it is. And you should carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. And then Joshua called 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one from every tribe. 
And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord of your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you will take up a stone on his shoulder. So you can see these are not little rocks. You don't pick up one that's baseball size and put it on your shoulder. You take one that's probably 100 pounds, and you're going to hoist that up and put it on your shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children asked in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? What does your faith mean to you? What does God's work in your life mean to you? You see, you, you can all day talk about other people's faith. You can read stories, great stories, and you should of people of faith that have gone before you, people of faith living today. It's good to be encouraged by other people's faith, but what does that stone mean to you, is the question. Because they were going to be asked, Dad, how did we get here? Mom, how did we get here? What is the story of our journey of faith? Pastor Chet and I were talking back in the green room, and it's like, so much of what we share is a common journey of faith. It's the story of God at work in our lives. Matter of fact, if you, re, if you remove the walk of faith from my life, from Connie and I's life, from Chet and Andrea's life, if you took faith out of our lives, there would be no story to tell. There wouldn't be a story. There's no Jeff and Connie Gill without faith. There's no Chet and Andrea Lowe without faith. If you pulled the faith that we have in the Lord out of our story, we cease to exist. A vast majority of our life would disappear. It'd no longer be meaningful. What do these stones mean to you? Verse 7, then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Parents, if you're here tonight, you're a parent. If you want to be a parent, if you have any desire to be a parent, if you are, if you're a grandparent, your faith matters to your children. Your faith will either be a legacy to your children or a detriment to your children. You will either leave them with a legacy of faith or you'll leave them with a legacy of no faith or little faith. You see, your faith does not exist in a vacuum. It's being witnessed by the world and it begins in your own home. Your faith is no greater than what it is in your own home. This is how you'll answer them. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up the twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to a place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And then Joshua set up the twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan. So there's going to be two piles of rocks. There's going to be two stacks of stones. 
One where they lodged and one in the middle of the flood. You might be saying to yourself, well, that's kind of crazy. Really? In the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Can I just give you a little clue that much of what you exercise in the realm of faith goes unnoticed by the world? But it was faith nonetheless. A lot of what you are going to go through in your life as you live it faithfully in Christ Jesus is not actually going to be visible, but it is nonetheless very real. It may be underneath the flow of this world. It may not be visible to other people. It may stand someplace in the halls of your life that other people cannot see, but God sees that you were faithful. God sees it. And so the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and crossed over, and then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. So it's kind of like this. The priests went out, the priests stood still, the waters receded, They grabbed the stones, they went to the shore, the people crossed over, and then the priests came last. And the waters began to flow again. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. Now remember that there are two and a half tribes that are going to stay Rather than in the promised land, they're going to stay on the other side of the Jordan. They're not going to enter in. And this is going to be an issue for the children of Israel. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as he had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest to bear the ark of testimony and come up from the Jordan. So they're coming out of the Jordan Valley. And the Jordan Valley is very flat. Where this takes place, it's roughly 14 miles wide on the bottom. And on either side of the valley, it rises rather precipitously. Whether you're in Jordan or whether you're in Israel, it basically has a flat bottom and then it rises up. It's the, it's the northern end of the African Rift Valley. Starts in the middle of Ethiopia. Travels all the way up to Lebanon. And so they're coming up across the valley and Jericho sits at the western side of the edge of this very wide valley at that point. And the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest to bear the ark of the testimony and come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass that when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's land touched dry land, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place. And it overflowed all its banks as before. And now the people come up, that had come up from the Jordan on that tenth day of the first month, they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. 
And these 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And so there are two piles of rocks, one in the middle of the river, which has now overflowed again, and one where they're encamped. One says, this is what the Lord did in the past. And one is saying, this is what the Lord is doing today. Your faith exists in both places. There is a record of your faith in the past, and there should be a monument to the faith that you're expressing today and the faith that you will express tomorrow. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Forever. Notice the command. When your children ask, when your children ask, when your children speak to you, what is the legacy of your faith in your life? That's not something that you can drum up in the moment. Some of us might be saying, well, this is kind of a long way of talking about two piles of stones. But it is the corporate faith, and the corporate faith is comprised of your personal faith. This church and every church, the church, church with a big C, the church in the world, is comprised of the private faith of individual lives as well as the corporate faith of what we are going to do and believe together. And you can't separate the two. Individual faith, and we're going to see this, individual faith or lack thereof directly affects the body of Christ. And so in this case, we're learning what it means to live lives of faith and then make sure that that is the thing that our own families know about us and the world knows about us as well. Notice how this chapter ends, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord. The church that doesn't walk in faith, the the person that claims to know the Lord that doesn't walk in faith, the person who walks in flesh and the monument of their life is a monument to the life lived in the flesh, does not speak of the hand of the Lord. That's why it's so important for the body of Christ to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Because walking in the flesh is a deception. And when the world sees us walking in the flesh, the world is confused about who God is and what God can do and what God wants us to be as we are naming his name. They were told, look, tell the people of the earth that they may know the hand of the Lord. When they look at this pile of rocks, now imagine for a moment, I don't know how many of you have ever tried to stack up 12 stones, Uh, You you get to about four or five, and it starts to get a little topsy-turvy unless they're really flat. 
So I'm pretty sure they were good at picking their rocks, but just assume that they've stacked up 12 of, 12 of them and they're standing there in the camp. It's going to be a pretty prominent feature. It's not going to be something that people would just miss. It's like, okay, rocks don't do that to themselves. When you're backpacking in the high Sierras, one of the things that we now try and discourage people from doing is building their own rock cairns, which is just a stack of rocks. It's all it is. In areas to where there's little to mark the trail by, sometimes people will do that. It's just like three or four or five or six rocks. Well, there's parts of the Sierras where it's like, it's just endless. It's like every person that came by put up their five or six stacks of rocks. And you're looking at them, well, that's kind of obnoxious. But that isn't what's going on here. What's going on here is there's a large stack of rocks, probably five to six feet tall, that's standing there in the camp of Israel at Gilgal. And every time somebody comes into camp, they're like, what's that? Why are those rocks stacked like that? And for you, you have areas of your life that are exactly the same thing. Why do you hold those views? Why don't you use language that everybody else uses? Why is it you don't watch those types of movies? Why do you not drink alcohol? Why do you live one way versus another way? Why is there a sign? On, why do you have a bumper sticker on your car that says, I believe in Jesus? Why, 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 why? Well, they're testimonies of your faith. And those testimonies should match up with how you live. Some people have testimonies that people can see that don't stack up with how that person lives. That confuses people about who God is. Our visual testimony should match up with our verbal testimony. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your verbal testimony and your visual testimony of faith should be consistent. When they are inconsistent, then people are confused about who your God is. That's why a loveless Christian is a confusing thing to people who understand God is love. That's why a Christian who walks in habitual sin is a confusing thing. Because we're supposed to be freed from sin and its penalty, death. We should not be walking in it. We're supposed to be building monuments to our faith. This is really a picture of them taking possession, finally, of the land. After 40 years of wilderness wandering... This is a massive testimony of the faithfulness of God. They've been wandering in the wilderness and cared for by God himself for 40 years. And now God is going to make good on the promise he made to Abraham and to Isaac and now to Jacob. Through Joshua as he leads them in. How powerful is your witness to this world? How powerful is your witness to the world? Because the witness 40 years earlier was pretty pathetic. Matter of fact, one could say it was political. It's like, we're going to take a vote. We all don't think we should go in. Joshua and Caleb say we should, and they wandered for 40 years because of it. 
How powerful is your witness? You need to get your rocks right here. This is, these are not Ebenezer stones. These are stones that are monuments to the faith of the Israelite nation, the Jewish people. They were supposed to be known as a people of faith. And so the first thing, I want you to notice this, the first thing that they are encouraged to do when they enter into the promised land, which they had been given by God through the prophet Abraham, build a monument to your faith in me. Not to your faith in you, not to your steadfastness, not to your giftedness, not to your thrift, not to your ability to survive in the wilderness. Build a monument of your faith in me. Church, I think that sometimes we lose sight of that. Because these monuments, one in the river unseen, which God himself knew exactly where it was. You see, you, you could almost say, well, why bother building a monument in the middle of the river? Nobody's going to see it. Because there is part of your faith and the exercise thereof that always and only God sees. If you're here tonight and you're fasting and praying, can I tell you, nobody's probably going to see that, but God sees it. If you've embarked on that journey of faith, it's like, Lord, I'm committing this to you in prayer, and I'm going to keep praying until you speak to me. Nobody's going to see that, but God sees it. So there are two piles of rocks, and they are both essential. One is your personal witness and our corporate witness together, our public witness. And the other is your private witness before the Lord's throne of grace, which only he sees. And both are essential. You have to have both if you're going to thrive in your walk with the Lord. There has to be a private testimony between you and God alone. God, I'm doing this because you alone see and God, I'm doing this because the world is watching. My children are watching. My spouse is watching. My friends are watching. My co-workers are watching. I want them to be able to see that right there. That, Lord, is a testimony to you, to who you are. That's not a testimony to me. That is my testimony of the work that you've done in my life. Your public of witness your public witness of your faith is of utmost importance. In fact, I would say in a general sense that your public witness of your faith is the reason you're still here. It, I think it's probably the top reason why God doesn't just instantaneously take each one of us home. In other words, he has something for us to do. He, he wants us to be engaged in his kingdom work on this world. So he leaves us here with a witness of what he's done in our lives. Amen? And when he does that, he's saying, I'm entrusting to you other people to see who you are in me 
and be encouraged, be strengthened, be pointed towards me. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with your public witness? Is it clear? Is it strong? Is it powerful? Does it resonate before the throne of God so that God sees it and goes, this is my son, this is my daughter. Look, look if you want to know who I am, go talk to Jeff. You want to see what I can do? Go talk to Chet. Those stones were not stones of help. That's what the Ebenezer stones were. They're in 1 Samuel. They were stones of remembrance. They were a memorial. They're a monument. They're the type of thing that we build to great leaders. One of the great privileges that we get in our country is going to Washington, D.C. and walking through the National Mall. You stop by the World War II Memorial or the Vietnam Memorial or the Korean War Memorial or drop by Martin Luther King's statue or the Lincoln Memorial. You look at these, are memorials. We build them because the people that they were built in reference to did mighty inexplicable things. Things that are not ordinary. That's what these piles of rocks were for the Jewish people. This is not an ordinary thing. God preserved them. He brought them from Egypt. He caused them to even thrive in a wilderness. And he was faithful to bring them into the promised land. And that story is also your story tonight. That's your story tonight. God has preserved you, and God has brought you out. God has caused you to prosper in this land. The Lord is with you. He will never leave you. He will not forsake you. He is with you wherever you go. He was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. The Lord is your strength. He is your shield. He is your mighty one. He is your defender. Is your life a monument to that? Is your life a monument to that? Or is it a monument to something else? Because it can be a monument to almost anything. It can be a monument to wealth. be a monument to intellect. It can be a monument to prosperity. It can be a monument to business. It can even be a monument to just you. But is your life a monument to God? And if your life is a monument, then your life gets stacked with my life and gets stacked with other believers' lives, and we end up just like this stack of stones. A monument to the mighty king. That's what God wants for his church. And in that sense, it's also a monument to our faith that works. These two memorials, if you will, of Israel's crossing over the 12 stones at Gilgal and the stones in the midst of the river were witnesses that we actually did what God asked us to do. 
They were trusting that God would not only open the river, but God would keep the river open while they crossed. Amen? But when they got there, God asked them to do something. He said, pick up some stones and take them to the other side. And then all of the rest of you have to do exactly what the high priest did, and that's step out in faith. And in that sense, it's just showing us that our faith has to do work. It needs to be alive. It's got to go somewhere. You see, they could have talked all day long. They could have sat over there on the eastern side of the Jordan River and just talked about everything that God did in the wilderness. And you know, there's an awful lot of Christians that do that. They talk about what God did in the past, not about what God is doing in the present or what he wants to do in the future. They're so stuck on the things of the past that they don't have a present, and consequently, they have very little future. God does not just want us to build a monument to the things that he's already done. He wants us to build a monument to the things that he is doing and the things that he will do. Church, we got to get this. Because a lot of the church has become nothing but a social club. It's like we want to get together for fellowship. That's great, by the way. But if that fellowship does not lead us out of these doors to service, if it doesn't cause us to do something in the name of the king, then we built a monument to the past. I am saved. What are you saved for is the question that follows. What are you saved to do? Not what are you just saved from. That's good. I'm saved from the wrath of God. But I'm saved to good works that I should walk in them. I'm saved to being a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Otherwise, I could be like the children of Israel. Well, you know, it was pretty good back when we were over on the other side. Pretty good what happened to Abraham and Isaac. You know, and God fed us every day. You know, I mean, this whole river crossing thing and going, you know, there's people over there and we're going to have to fight. Church, we want to be a group of believers that's willing to stack new stones. To look at life and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Not, here are us, send them. Amen? There's a lot of Christians that that's their gig. It's like, well, I belong to the church, just send somebody else. You know, I go to church, so church becomes a destination for them. Church is supposed to be a launch pad not a destination. Church is supposed to be us getting together to figure out where God's going to send us next. Church is not supposed to be a place where we get together and we just go, isn't God good? Look, God is good and we should do that as well. The problem is if you get stuck in doing that, you don't accomplish anything for the king. You just sit around and kind of inspect your little box of trinkets. It's like, here's when I went there, and here's when I went there. And this is what happened then. 
And to that end, with blessing comes responsibility. Moses had exhorted the people to go take the land. But he himself didn't even enter in. He got held back. He lacked faith. Sometimes we look at the life of Moses and and while there is great reason to exalt Moses for all the things that Moses did, Moses failed. Moses stumbled. Moses got to the border of the promised land and didn't enter in because he himself was bound with unbelief. He misrepresented God. That's not something I'm interested in doing. God had miraculously allowed them to escape from Egypt. He'd miraculously enabled them to enter the promised land. These things are all miracles. Gilgal will eventually become the center of many things that are in the history of the Jewish people. In fact, Israel is going to crown their first king there. There, There's going to be tremendous history. But Gilgal could then become the next place where we'll just stay here and do church. Gilgal's nice. I mean, there's, there's trees here. There's water here. David's going to be welcomed back there after Absalom's rebellion. Samuel would include it in the circuit of ministry, the things that the priests should do. There would be a school of prophets there in the days of Elijah and Elisha. Joshua would actually make it his headquarters, his camp, his center of operations. Church, there's a warning in this for us. What was once a place gained by battle can become a place where we rot and die. What was a grand adventure can become a Christian retirement home. It can be a place where you just all sit around and talk about the glory days. We become like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. I could throw the football over those mountains. Yeah, well, that was 40 years ago for the Jewish people. We don't want to be like that. It takes hard work to build the witness And it takes hard work to continue the witness. We have to continue the witness. We have to continue reaching out. We've got to get off of our spiritual laurels and onto a spiritual journey. We're never done. The journey may look different through periods of our our life. But we shouldn't be sitting around just worshiping the monument. We should be saying, Lord, where's next? What's what's the next thing that you want to do? What do you want to do with me, God? I carried those stones some eight miles. Like I said, by the language that's used here and the fact that they had to put them on their shoulders, these were not little tiny boulders. They weren't putting them into a you know, a hod so that they could carry them properly. They were simply taking a giant stone and putting it on their shoulder and walking eight miles with it. It was work. But it was a reminder. 
And it was a reminder to keep going because they could look back and remember that there's a pile in the river and they could look ahead and see that there's one today and they would then ask themselves, Lord, where's the next pile going to be? Where are we going next, God? Where do you want us to work? Where do you want us to witness? Where do you want us to work and where do you want us to witness? Can I remind you of something tonight? Faith doesn't always make sense. Faith doesn't always make sense. Don't confuse faith with just human logic and reason. And while your faith has reason and logic attached to it, faith doesn't always make sense. That pile of stones out there in the river didn't make a bit of sense. If you want to sit down and think about it, it's like, well, what, you know, come on, God. I mean, we'll, we'll just figuratively think that it's out there. But from God's perspective, he knows whether there was six stones out there, eight stones out there, or whether all 12 stones were stacked out in that river. And every single stone was a stone of faith. And the same is true in your life. When God asks you to do things, it's not always going to make sense. But if he asks you for 12 stones, give him 12, not 9. If he asks you to go a mile, go a mile, not three quarters. If he asks you to do something that you can't quite explain, do it anyway. Because that's how your faith grows. You know, sometimes to us, those things which are seemingly meaningless to other people. I don't know how many of you have ever left your Bible someplace and you're like panicked. It's like, look, you can get another Bible. But the notes in there, Maybe the notes from a study where God spoke to you, they don't mean anything to anybody else, but they mean something to you. Those are notes of faith. God spoke to you. They don't make sense to the world. They may not even totally make sense to you, but God spoke to you. God did some amazing things. Maybe he took you to a retreat. He gave you a mountaintop experience. And maybe it's just a coffee mug or a hat. You know, who knows? It's something that you look at it and you go, God met me there. God delivered me there. God spoke to me there. When your kids asked about that weird hat, what do you tell them? When they look at that ugly coffee mug, you know, Dad, why are you drinking coffee out of that thing? You know, it's all chipped and cracked and you glued the handle back on it five times. Why do you keep it? God met me there. The same is true for how the word works in our lives. 
Are, are you willing to give God the glory for the things that he's actually done? Are you willing to pass that along to the next generation? It seems unfortunate, as it seems to me. I think a lot of the church has, has lost that. It's like I'm not quite sure what they're passing on to the next generation. Some form of Christian nationalism? Some political ideology? Or are you actually stacking up stones that memorialize what the Word of God has done in your life? The real meat of what God has spoken to you throughout your time on this earth. Unless we teach the next generation, unless we are willing to say, God met me there, that's what that represents. Without compromise, without wavering, it's like, no, son, God did that in my life. There's no explanation for it. Some of the most precious times that I've had with my sons is just reminding them of the goodness of the Lord in our lives. I was like, Brandon, there's, there's no explanation for this. I know, I know my God, and I know God did it. I don't have any, it wasn't me. It's not because your dad is some genius. It's because we serve a faithful God. Pass that along to your children because this world needs your kids to be walking with Jesus more than ever. We walk in the safety of a new life. Sometimes those monuments that we build are underneath the surface. The monument at Gilgal reminded the Jews that God had opened the river and led them safely across. The monument in the depths of the river reminded them of the new life that they can't always see but is there because of who we are, who God is. It's based in his character, his nature. It's the firm foundation that ultimately causes us to walk in the newness of life. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things are passing away. Amen? There's a monument that other people don't get all the information about. They can't see everything, but they can see the results of who you are in Christ. They should be able to tell without seeing a visible monument. They should be able to gauge that, judge that by the person that's standing before them, that our old life has been buried with Christ and we've been raised in newness. The old faithless generation died out there in the middle of the river. The old faithless generation was buried in the river. That's not who crossed over. The new generation crossed over. And in the same way, we need to cross over into the new things that God wants us to do. Make sure that you're asking God for those things. And then once he points you the right direction, once he gets you Focused. Remember the children of Israel we will see in the book of Deuteronomy as they, as they set up shop there at Shechem. As they built an altar to the Lord, they're wedged between these two mountain pops, Mount Yabal and Mount Gerizim. They, they also had a witness to the, to the things that the God would do. It's like you can have blessing or you can have cursing. The choice is yours. Faith allows you to live in blessing. 
flesh allows you to live in cursing. Faith, blessing, flesh, cursing. It's that simple. Don't make that complex. Walking in faith is a path of blessing for the child of God. Walking in the flesh, you're going to curse every day that you walk in the flesh as a child of God. Because God chastens those whom he loves. He disciplines his children as, as a faithful father must and should. And to that end, as we wrap up tonight, make sure that you're making monuments that matter. God, in essence, has brought you out so that he can bring you in. That's what he promised them. He said, I'm, bringing you, I'm making you a new people. I'm bringing you out of the old life and I'm bringing you into a new life. So God always brings us out so he can bring us in. And while he doesn't do that exactly the same in each of our lives, the principle is the same in each of our lives. He brings you out so he can bring you in. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's bringing you out of the old life and into the new life because he has something for you. And if you realize that, then you're going to tell the truth about who you are. Your life is going to bear witness. You're not going to be hypocritical about it. You're not going to live one kind of life when you're at church and another kind of life when you're at home. God brings us out so he can bring us in. There's going to be lots of ups and downs for the children of Israel in the remainder of this book. We're going to see them at the height of absolute ecstasy and victory, and we're going to see them at the pit of despair in defeat. And there's a very, very simple thing between those two places. And it's this thing. So you're going to trust God. You're going to walk in faith. You're going to live your life according to what God says, or you're going to do your own thing. You see, if you make monuments that matter, if you're going to pile up stones the correct way, then they're going to be a monument to what God did in your life. That's going to be really consistent. It's like, that's the Lord, that's not me. God did that, I did not do that. God brought me out so he could bring me in. I didn't bring myself out, he delivered me from this body of death. He's making me a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm not making myself a new creation in Christ Jesus. He's actually doing that by his spirit. Is your life a testimony to that? I'll leave you with a story tonight. Kim Duk-soo, who's a Korean War veteran, was in North Korea the day that communist troops found him hiding in his father's root cellar. He'd become administrator at the Presbyterian Hospital in Daegu in South Korea. And until his death, he actually had a tough time telling this story. And I think a lot of us have a story that's very similar to it. But while he was hiding, he heard the soldiers coming from north, from the north. He was sure that they'd be killed. And he said his daddy told him to 
not tell a lie to save their lives. He said, tell them the truth. Kim's father had pastored a church for 42 years and helped hide his wife and children. He covered them actually with rice bags and dirt. After two days, they could no longer stay underneath it. And Kim uncovered himself. As troops approached, he was stuck because he remembered what his father said. No matter what happens, son, don't tell him a lie. Preserve your witness. He hid in the root cellar. And he came out and the soldiers found him and his father and took him off to a makeshift prison. They were supposed to be executed the following morning. That evening, a captain in the North Korean army walked up to him and he said, are you a Christian? And for a fleeting moment, he wanted to save his life by lying. And he remembered what his father had taught him about faith. And he looked right into that soldier's eyes and he said, yes, I am a Christian and I love Jesus. And the captain looked pretty amazed. He drew very close to him and he whispered to him. And he said, so am I. And he helped him escape that night. His father was executed the following morning. But he walked for two days to an American army base. And he hung around and eventually they discovered he could play an organ. And all he remembers is that a captain named Shoemaker learned of his musical ability and he ordered an organ from the United States. That organ today is still in that Presbyterian church that was first built in 1884. And every time it would be played by Reverend Kim, he said, I should have been killed because the communists found me. But the God who found me before is greater than the communists. Church, that's the kind of witness we should all have. Now, granted, all of us are not going to get that opportunity to have that stark of a difference between the world and between our lives. But every one of us can say, yes, I am a Christian. And I pray that that is your pile of stones. You better believe it, I'm a Christian. My life is now hidden in Christ and the life that I now live, I live because of him. And without him, I can do nothing. But by him and through him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Make monuments that matter. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray tonight that you would take us out of this building to bring us into some new place or some monument-making adventure.
to where your name can be glorified. We give you our lives again afresh and anew, and we pray that you would use us for your glory. Cause us, God, to be visible representations of your majesty and your power, your might, your love, your joy, your peace, your gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Lord, monuments to you and not to us. Stack us high, Lord, for the world to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.